Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Tuberculosis was the leading cause of death in the United States in the 20th century. And even though this bacterial infection does not kill as many people today as it used to, it remains a disease of concern. Worldwide, it's one of the leading causes of death due to infectious disease. Here to talk about diagnosis and treatment of tuberculosis is Dr. Elizabeth Haraz. She's a doctor who also has a master's of public health, and she specializes in internal medicine and infectious disease. Welcome to the informed patient, Dr. Haraz. Thank you. When I think of tuberculosis, I recall that a patient toward the end of the 1800s was likely to be sent to a tuberculosis sanitarium. Was that so the patient wouldn't infect others? Yes. So the patients, uh, patients going to sanatoriums was probably to help prevent other people from getting infected. Although truthfully, I'm not sure what understanding exactly they had back then about how the disease was spread. I mean, the organism wasn't actually discovered until the 1880s. Um, but it was also to provide the only treatment they really had at that point, which was clean air. Um, the cities were very polluted at that time <clears throat> and good nutrition and rest. Um, so really, I think when you consider all of like the horrible medical treatments doctors had um, that sometimes came up with back then, uh, I think this was actually a really good idea and really the best that could have been, do could have been done for people at the time. But despite that, um, you know, the mortality rates were still very high. So clean air, uh, rest, good nutrition, that was pretty much the treatment. That's all that they were able to do? Yes. Back then, yep. Well, what happened to stop tuberculosis from being a leading cause of death? Um, so there did start to be some treatments back in around the 1950s, um, which are still medications that were used today, should be told, hasn't really advanced too much. Um, but also just public health measures. So improved living conditions, um, you know, mostly in the United States and in Western Europe, but, you know, less crowding in, you know, city slums, um, better work conditions, um, improved health and nutrition um, all helped contribute to the to tuberculosis decline. Uh, but unfortunately, recently, as you remember back in the 80s and 90s, with the HIV pandemic, um, cases of TB increased and TB is still um, a leading killer in many of the poor parts of the world where access to medical care is limited and malnutrition um, and crowded poor living conditions are still common. You mentioned HIV, human immunodeficiency virus. How is that connected or related to TB? So HIV doesn't kill directly. What it does is it destroys your immune system. So if there were no germs in the world, HIV would have no effect on any on anybody. But because it affects your immune system, it makes you unable to fight disease and more likely to get infected. And for various reasons, HIV particularly affects a part of your immune system that fights TB. Um, and because TB can also, as we know, very much kill people with healthy immune systems, TB is also one of the first things that can kind of breach even a somewhat weakened immune system. So that's why people with HIV are at a particular risk of TB. That makes sense. Now, before we get much further, can you tell us more about what tuberculosis is? I think first, uh, I think I should talk about the difference between latent TB and active TB. 
because in this country, late well, actually in the whole world, latent TB is actually more common and you're much more likely in this country to run across latent TB. So TB is a somewhat of a unique infection. Unlike most infections where you become infected and develop symptoms and then hopefully recover from the infection in a fairly rapid sequence, TB is different. So when people become infected with TB, a person's immune system walls off the organism and prevents it from spreading. And in about 90% of people, they never in their lifetime develop symptoms. They never develop disease. They're not contagious. But if they were screened for TB with the blood or the skin test, that would be positive because their immune system knows what TB is now because it's seen it. And these tests basically just look for immune recognition of TB. They can't tell you anything about disease or not. But so these people would never have any TB disease. And so this is what we call latent, or it's kind of, you can think of it hibernating TB. However, in about 10% of people with normal immune systems and in more than that in people with suppressed immune systems, TB can escape the immune system's control and become active and cause disease. So that is why we treat latent TB so it never becomes active and why if people are going on immune suppressive medications, um, like rheumatological diseases, they are screened for TB first. Um, so there's kind of two different disease states there, latent and active TB. How is it spread from person to person? So it's only spread by people with active TB, so people that have symptoms, respiratory symptoms. And um, a person coughs the TB germs into the air and someone else breathes them in. So it's actually not spread very easily, and it usually takes close and prolonged contact. So you wouldn't get it just by like walking through past somebody on the street or anything like that, or um, quick contact. What are the symptoms of tuberculosis? So tuberculosis is usually a lung disease, like a pneumonia. And the classic symptoms are cough, fever, weight loss, and night sweats. And that's not just like waking up kind of warm, but it's, you know, waking up your pajamas drenched. You need to like change your pajamas. And sometimes people cough up blood as well. It's important to note that this is a chronic disease, so these symptoms start and slowly progress over weeks to months. So it's not something that you suddenly come down with over the span of like a week. These are prolonged symptoms. Does it cause lasting damage to the lungs? No, not usually in this country. Here, people are usually diagnosed and treated quickly, and they make a full recovery. The countries where there is a lack of medical care and people are not treated for a very long time, and so have disease for a very long time, it can cause permanent lung damage and resulting heart damage. And also, particularly if you have a very suppressed immune system, tuberculosis can spread to other parts of the body. That's more rare and more seen in people who are very ill or very immune suppressed. And that's what we usually see, but certainly we do see it, particularly in other countries. So TB can be deadly. Oh, yes. Um, so untreated TB probably has a, about an 80% mortality rate, active TB, and it kills usually by destroying the lungs. Nobody should die of TB because there are good treatments for all, essentially all forms of TB. Is there a vaccine available? There is, but it's not a very good vaccine. Um, it is called the BCG vaccine, and it's been around a very long time, about 100 years. It's usually given in infancy, um, and it does help protect young children from the worst forms of TB. So like TB meningitis and other bad forms of, of TB. 
but it doesn't protect very well and it has a fair amount of side effects. So it's not used here in the United States anymore because its risks outweigh the benefits, but it is still widely used throughout the world where there are high rates of TB and less robust medical systems and that it is beneficial in those places. And scientists are working on to develop a better vaccine, uh, but haven't had much success. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient podcast with your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Dr. Elizabeth Haraz. She's an internal medicine and infectious disease doctor at Upstate who has expertise in tuberculosis. Now, I know your research is focused on improving the diagnosis and treatment of tuberculosis. How is this disease diagnosed today? Late TB is usually diagnosed as part of routine screening. So people who may be at risk for being exposed to TB, like healthcare workers, or people who are planning to go on immune suppressive medications, are tested either with a blood test or a, a PPD, which is that little needle that they stick under your skin, and then you have to come back in a few days to see if there's a bump. If these tests are positive, um, and the person has no symptoms and no unusual findings on chest X-ray, then this is latent TB. Um, for people who have active TB, so we're having symptoms, TB is usually diagnosed based on symptoms. So that was a long-lasting cough, fever, weight loss, or night sweats, and unusual findings on chest X-ray. If these symptoms are present, then usually phlegm is sent for a culture or PCR testing um, to look for the TB germ. These screening kind of blood and skin tests can also be positive in people with active TB, but those screening tests can't distinguish between active or latent TB. So in order to distinguish one from the other, symptoms and chest X-ray need to be evaluated. How common is tuberculosis today in the United States, and, and who does it mostly affect? In the United States, it's not very common. So there are about 2.5 cases per 100,000 people um, every year in the United States. Um, the rates are higher among foreign-born people compared to native-born people, just because rates of TB are higher in other countries. However, lots of people who did immigrate here, as part of immigration, you're routinely screened for latent and active TB and are treated when you come. And rates can be higher among people with certain risk factors. Most important factor, as we talked about, used to be HIV because it suppresses the immune system in a way that um, makes it particularly easy for tuberculosis to become active. Um, but with good HIV treatments that we've had, the rates of TB among people with HIV has gone way down. And other risk factors include living in, in crowded settings, just because TB can spread easily if it happens to be someone there with active TB. Um, so people who are incarcerated, people who live in homeless shelters, that sort of thing. What's the prognosis for someone who's diagnosed with TB today? It depends where you live. <laughs> in the United States, it's very good. TB is 100% uh, curable. It's still a huge problem, though, in the rest of the world. It's actually overtaken HIV as the world's number one infectious disease killer. Actually, 25% of the world has latent TB, and every year, 10 million people throughout the world become ill with tuberculosis. And um, despite the fact that there are good treatments, 1.5 million people die every year of TB. As I mentioned, you know, in the United States, only about 2.5 cases of TB for every 100,000 people. But in countries with high rates of TB, that's up to hundreds, hundreds of times that. So 600 to 700 cases per every 100,000. So a much bigger problem in other countries. So the treatment that's offered today, I'm assuming we have something beyond fresh air, good nutrition, and rest. 
But are those things still prescribed? Definitely. So particularly in other parts of the world um, where malnutrition, especially among children, is high, um, nutritional support is very important. It is, is in fact, recommended with the WHO's um, guidelines for tuberculosis treatment, the World Health Organization. Um, but in this country, malnutrition is not such an issue. We do have good treatments for tuberculosis, um, although all of them look all kind of relatively old. For latent TB, we do now have shorter regimens. You get either one to two medications for as short as three months, but sometimes as long as six months, depending on the medication regime that you get. And then the vast majority of people in this country have drug-susceptible TB. The treatment for that has traditionally been four medications for two months and then two medications for four months, so six months in total. But there's now actually a newly approved treatment, which is only four months, and that's four medications for two months and then three medications for two months. It does take a long time to treat TB, which I think is the most difficult thing about it. Um, the TB germ is kind of slow and it's resting and not kind of eating a lot of the time, so it doesn't take up the antibiotic very quickly. So you need to treat for a long time to make sure you kill it, and you also need multiple medications because it can develop resistance easily. So that's why you can't just use one medication. Is there a concern about drug resistance? Worldwide, there is. In this country, not so much because we have a health departments um, and medical system that is very active in making sure. Well, first, we can test whatever anybody's diagnosed with tuberculosis. We always test for drug resistance. And then we have a very active health department that makes sure that people get their medications and, and take them. In other parts of the world, particularly in um, Eastern Europe and South Africa, drug resistance is a, a large problem. And then you have, uh, it, it is more difficult to treat people. You have to have longer treatments with more difficult medications. Once someone recovers from TB, if they've been treated and they recover, are they protected from getting it again? Um, to a degree, but people can still get it again if they're exposed. So it's not, not 100%. Who's at greatest risk for developing TB, and is there anything that that person can do to reduce their risk? So in this country, I don't think I would worry too much about contracting TB. The TB rates really are not that high. Um, if you are in contact with someone who has active TB, the health department really does a good job of contact tracing and letting people know that they uh, need to be evaluated. And people in high-risk jobs are usually routinely screened to their work. But I would say if people are having chronic, you know, longer breathing issues, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot worse things than TB than it could be. So they should definitely contact their doctor to let them know. Um, but I just would want to say that one of the reasons that the rates in TB in this country are so low is that traditionally we've had a very strong public health system. that does provide a lot of services and works very hard to trace and treat contagious diseases to the benefit of us all. And unfortunately, during the COVID pandemic, we have seen that our public health system is under stress due to underfunding. It's not an accident in this country that most of us, for most of our lives, have not had to worry about contracting a contagious disease during our daily activities. And we have our public health systems to thank for that. And it is really important that we continue to support them and fund them. Well, Dr. Harraz, this has been very informative. I, I thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. Appreciate it. My guest has been Dr. Elizabeth Haraz. She specializes in internal medicine and infectious disease at Upstate. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine. 
brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu informed. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.